Presentation of NBC Sports, Network of the Games of the 25th Olympiad. Barcelona! Barcelona! A movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Quick, quick, quick. Strawberry banana. Please don't aggregate the Long range three. Their defense is atrocious. Atrocious. I'm the rock star. People. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. We love China. We love playing there. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? Swish FM, Chris Wendelkin, Ben Craw. Ben, we are back tonight with another installment of The Rewatchables. Yes, uh, keyword being tonight. Tonight, tonight. <laughs> we are inducting... Just like Billy Corrigan. Yeah. We yeah. Uh, we are doing it tonight. Not, not today, but tonight. We are inducting another film into the canon. This, <laughs> uh, this, this week, this month's film is The Cutting Edge. <laughs> Don't worry, folks. We're going to get to the basketball very soon. A lot I of promise. a lot of big basketball news to discuss. Um, we're just getting <laughs> we're we're just crunching some numbers, doing some final analysis on the basketball front, and that'll be coming to you shortly. In the meantime, joining us to discuss the film, Ben. He's a returning guest. He's a writer, producer, voiceover artist. Our audience knows him as the creative force behind the audiobook of Montley Cruz The Dirt, as well as Swish FM's With Honors Claudia Haro Deep Dive. The Claudia Haro Spectacular. Yeah, the Claudia Haro Spectacular. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Christian Lynch, a.k.a. Cousin Christian Christian. It is a pleasure to have you with us once again. Cuz. Welcome. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, and honestly, this is just, I have to be on here 64 times to get every chapter from Motley Cruz the Dirt into your show. <laughs> That's really the goal, is just yeah, to slowly exactly. but surely get the entire uh, audiobook somewhere. You know, it works, Christian. Yeah. Each appearance, you get one little. We could just like trickle <laughs> out like chapter. one chapter at the end of just each episode. We... Part three, Toast of the Town, Chapter one, Tommy, of a red colored. That's not a bad idea. We could start. Doing that. <laughs> it's there for the taking, folks. But I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. This has been a few months in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, the way this genuinely started is uh, this kind of got pitched before I was even invited on to talk about with honors. Um, I basically, that film, 
With honors? <laughs> with honors? Yeah. With honors. <laughs> we need to start this episode by it's start, yeah, mentioning... Yeah, talking about with honors. Part 12. There it is, There it is. It took about nine <laughs> seconds into the pod. You hear, if you hear the title with honors, you take a drink. That's the way this, uh, that's yep. the way this drinking game works. But, but yes, really, basically, uh, we were talking about Moira Kelly and why she didn't become a superstar, and that quickly led to... We should talk about cutting edge. Uh, yes. The cutting edge is, and well, a few months later, here we are talking about the cutting edge. Months yeah. in the making, really years in the making. Since I think, if I'm speaking for all of us, this is a this is a movie that we've had a long relationship with. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, sort of inspired by With Honors, but I could e- easily ha- uh, have seen us. Uh, you know, like this, this movie basically just deserves its own, you know, its own time in the limelight. Um, it's a, it's a classic. Um, it is, it's a rewatchable. Um, and uh, we are here to discuss it. Um, ben, can you talk about the film's place in the Beantown cinematic universe? Yeah. The Goodwill Hunting cinematic universe. So, you're sort of our resident historian here. Yeah. Help us understand where this movie fits in in the timeline of a Goodwill Hunting, a With Honor, yeah. uh, the town. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for that opportunity because um, I think really the, the, the only place to begin here is to, you know, step back big picture and, and orient our listeners by placing this film in its proper historical and cinematic context. Um <laughs> You know, this is a solemn duty that we have to our listeners, after all. You know, we are uh, much more than mere uh, movie rewatchers. We are uh, guides, uh, gurus, Sherpas, if you will, uh, shepherding our listeners uh, by the hand uh, along this this spiritual journey, this pilgrimage, um, this vision, this vision quest that we are all on together through uh, what I like to call the kingdom of movie madness. Um, so, to begin with, we should state uh, for the record that this film is part of, and possibly the original entry in, the BCU or Beantown Cinematic Universe, also known as the Boston Cinematic Universe. Uh, we'll we'll get into exactly why that this will be you know revealed uh, bit by bit, detail by uh, intricate detail uh, over the course of this rewatchable series. So I don't want to give uh, too much away now, but it is important to note that this uh, film is without question a BCU film and uh, exists in the same universe, same world as uh, such classics as With Honors, uh, Goodwill Hunting, and of course The Town. I'm going to uh, take it a step further. Um, I think there's an, I mean, we'll, we'll get into specifics as we rewatch the film, but I think there's a case to be made <laughs> that the town is actually a remake of the cutting edge. A remake <laughs> or a sequel? A remake. A remake. Okay. <laughs> a reboot, a remake. <laughs> they yeah. rebooted. Yeah. They rebooted the cutting edge mm-hmm. and did it with bank robbers. But yeah, I think there's a real strong yeah. case there. Yeah. We will get into all of it. We will unpack we'll it in, all. We will, we will unpack it all folks. We know you're chomping at the bit for that. Yep. yep. Um, and, and for anybody that's tuning in for basketball knowledge, uh, the Boston Celtics have just defeated Minnesota, 104 to 102. There you go. <laughs> there it is. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, basketball podcast, Swish FM. <laughs> Thank right, you, cousin. Let's, let's, let's talk. Um, I, I think some imperative uh, pieces of information as we get into Cutting Edge. Uh, first and foremost, 
great to know that this film was directed by Paul Michael Glazer, a name that might not mean anything to you. Uh, you may have also seen it as Paul M. Glazer mm-hmm. in the credits. Uh, that was Detective Dave Starsky from the 1970s television series Starsky and Hutch. Hi, I'm David Soul. I'm Paul Michael Glazer. Starsky and Hutch are a pair of undercover detectives in the fastest-moving police action show on American television. And now you'll be seeing Starsky and Hutch every Veronica Wednesday evening at 10.30. We hope that the Dutch audience is as happy about our new show as we are about appearing on Veronica, Holland's newest television station. Starsky and Hutch combat crime and try to protect citizens from criminal elements on the roughest beaten town. As you will see when you watch our show, we get some pretty dangerous assignments and operate a little differently than most police detectives. Starsky and Hutch, a new show on a new station. Veronica. We hope that you join us every Veronica Wednesday evening at 10.30. Ben, what else has he directed? Well, he directed a lot of uh, television uh, over the course of his career, along, of course, with starring uh, as an actor in in several uh, television series, most notably, as you mentioned, Starskin Hutch. But um, he directed uh, exactly five films, just five. Those films being 1986's Band of the Hand, 1987's The Running Man, followed up by 1992's The Cutting Edge, and then 1994's The Air Up There, and finally 1996's Kazam, the Shaquille oh. O'Neal vehicle. Oh my goodness. Yep. That two basketball is movies on that back end. We got two basketballs there. to finish to round out the yep. yeah, the, the sort of sports trajectory that he was on that honestly started with The Running Man. Uh, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into this, but The Running Man and The Cutting Edge have a lot of sort of, you know, spiritual and physical parallels um, that, that, that we'll get into. But, I mean, talk about going five for five from the field. Um, now, Band of the Hand is a movie that certainly is not as well-known or, or you know, discussed as, fr- as frequently as his other pictures. This place is disgusting. It's not so bad. Yeah, it looks like home to you. Man, look, what are we doing? We're in a hotel here. You guys afraid you haven't got enough to go around? Around what? Around the block for a bit of shit? Yo, this junkie's here. Same question goes. What's that? You got the balls. To what? Cut it in Miami. Oh, man, cut the shit, okay, man? Man, what the hell does that mean? Shut up! But just uh, to, so that I could call myself a Paul and Glazer completionist, I actually recently watched uh, Band <laughs> of the Hand the other night. <laughs> Fucking wild movie. Absolutely mm-hmm insane i don't know if anyone uh has ever seen it but it's it's definitely worth checking out just for the sheer novelty it's about basically like to see if i can like summarize it quickly because i know that this is a cutting edge rewatchable not a band of the hand rewatchable but (laughs) band of the hand from 1986 paul m glazer's directorial debut um is about a group of five juvenile delinquents uh, in their teens that are, like, doomed to be prosecuted as adults for their crimes unless they basically get, like, shipped off, like, against their will or even, like, unknowingly, unwittingly. I'm not totally sure if they're, like, aware. They basically get shipped off to an experimental program into, like, a swamp in, like, Louisiana, I think, or somewhere, like, in the deep, deep south, like, in, like, the jungle swamps of the south um 
Uh, maybe it's even like South. It's possible it's in fucking South America. Uh, I don't remember the exact details. But these <laughs> you five don't remember the politics of band in the hand. <laughs> these five delinquents <laughs> get shipped to an experimental program led by a Vietnam vet, Native American named Indian Joe, who basically teaches them like how to be not like 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 fuck ups. Um, and they basically have to like serve. It's like a like a scared straight kind of scenario where they have to like survive in this like insane jungle environment, like battling like like crocodiles and like uh just all sorts of uh horrible conditions um and then finally like through that they like learn how to be like better men and then and then he like takes them back to miami where they have to like rebuild a neighborhood and kick out all the pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers and fight (laughs) off like a um a like like ferocious drug baron Played by Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> yes, Larry Lawrence Fishburne. Fishburne. We got Larry Fishburne. Yeah, a young Larry Fishburne is in this picture. Um, and it all climaxes in like a ridiculous, like basically like like army uh, base like battle scene that features like a minigun and like so many explosions. Um, yeah, yeah, it's I mean, a pretty. His, uh, his Glazer's career really starts with these dystopian hellscape films and ends with Shaq as a genie. <laughs> If you want to be number one, I'm sorry, boy, that's been done. But if you got the itches for a sack of riches, don't matter how avaricious, I'm the man that can grant your wishes. Hey, don't turn your butt on me. I'm the man of the ages. Straight out the pages. Hang on, I'm contagious, outrageous, spontaneous. You can't contain this. I am Kazam. I'm really happy for you. Where do you think you're going? Make your three wishes and I'm out of your face. Back in my box and out of this place. Listen, Mr. Psychopathic Dork in the basement. I don't think you're ordering anybody. You realize who I am? I'm your genie. In that case, I wish I was as big as you, but not so stupid. That's not a wish. That's an insult. And in, in the middle, right in the middle, cutting that edge... The cutting edge, but I will say it's it sort of be, it. It's like it all. Uh, all of his films, I do think, have an element of like sort of growing and 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 learning. Uh, to put it like kind of succinctly, uh, learning how to want it. Absolutely, uh, you know, and, Le- learning yeah. learning how to how to um, you know how to have grit and um, and and hustle and not be a, a, a hip-hop diva, but in fact, a good person. All right, let's talk specifics. <laughs> uh, well, let, let's dive into it with The Cutting Edge. I'll give a, a couple broad strokes here, the uh, sort of Wikipedia description of the film, and then I want to hear on a personal note <laughs> how you guys kind of encountered the film. Wait, Chris, you don't have like a like a, like a three-sentence uh, like TV guide recap? I feel like you, you love doing the like... Yeah, like the, this, the... Is, this, this is pretty good right <laughs> Okay, here. okay, so th- go for th- it. Th- this, is, this is that. So uh, 
The Cutting Edge is a 1992 American sports romantic comedy directed by Paul Michael Glazer and written by Tony Gilroy. The plot is about a wealthy, spoiled figure skater, played by Moira Kelly, who's paired with an injury-sidelined ice hockey player, played by D.B. Sweeney, for for Olympic figure skating. Competing at the 1992 Winter Olympics in Albertville, France, they have a climactic face-off against a Soviet pair, and then they note that the the movie spawned a, a film series, including a number of sequels, and that it was primarily shot in Toronto and in uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada. So, broad strokes. I'm curious how you guys encountered the film. Like, did you watch this as kids or in adulthood or what? I had a sister. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. An older sister. An older sister, and that really is everyone's uh, boy's entry into The Cutting Edge. Yep. I feel like The Cutting (laughs) Edge uh, is kind of like this perfect film because somehow it manages to throttle that side of, like, this is clearly a chick flick, but then it's like, but it's got hockey in it. So, like, boys are like, there's something for me, too, here. Yeah. Starts with some, uh, some, like, hockey action, and, you know, it's really not. At the end of the day, this film is straight up a rom-com, but... It at every turn peppers in some just like blue collar grit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as a, chi- as a yep. child, I wasn't necessarily looking for, but you know, it, it kept the the masculine edge in this film yep. was always there. Yeah, and, it's just uh, enough of a movie for guys who like movies kind of movie. I thought I, th- I found this also interesting. It's I think for those who uh, might be you know teenagers listening in right now and being like well, you know. A sports movie, a sports rom-com. This used to be a very common uh, category. And Mm. here's how common it was that uh, for sports comedies in the 90s, three of them opened on the same day on March 27, 1992. That was The Cutting Edge, Ladybugs, and White Men Can't Jump all opened the same weekend. (laughs) So oh, bangers. All, oh, yeah, all bangers. Yeah. So yeah, this was yeah. like a very much a thing. It's according to D.B. Sweeney, who uh, plays the titular character in this film, uh, Doug Dorsey. Uh, according to him, he had actually been offered the part of Nuke Lelouch in Bull Durham and wow. ended up uh, turning it down. He tried to get the part in White Men J- Can't Jump, but he says that Ron Shelton said, no way, he's just going to turn me down again. And as a result of that, he ended up taking Cutting Edge instead. I first got involved with Cutting Edge because they were looking around Hollywood for the usual suspects, guys who were athletic, who might, you know, it would be a bonus if they could skate, and they couldn't come up with any guys who could skate. So uh, they brought me in, and I said, uh, look, I can't, I've never skated. And they said, well, we'll send you out there and see how fast you can learn it. And uh, if if, uh, you're at all coordinated, it'll probably be fine. And uh, that was the beginning of my Cutting Edge voyage. I had met with uh, Paul Glazier. And auditioned for him, and he wanted me to come back for a callback, but I had to skate for him at Rockefeller Center, which I did not know how to do at the time. So my brother, who was big on hockey, took me out and showed me a few things. And I went down to the rink and found that going backwards, I was great, but forward, I was pitiful. Going into the audition, what was most important was convincing Paul that I had the emotional understanding of this character and that I could portray her and then let us work out crossing the bridge of skating when we had to come to it. Um, so I just really responded to the script. I just read it and I thought, you know what, this is a great story and I really want to be a part of it. So I didn't really focus on the challenges. As it turns out, um, they were they were substantial. And of course, D.B. Sweeney, maybe not in Bull Durham, but in another pretty uh, well-known baseball movie. <laughs> I'll put my Joe Jackson up against any player in the circuit. 
The boy can hit. He can run. He can throw. If he could read, he'd be perfect. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, eight men out. Eight men yeah. out. It's another uh, another classic D.B. Sweeney. So, so yeah, I mean, the entrances of this for, I think, every young boy, just and all of us are just three boys talking about the cutting edge yep. tonight. <laughs> just, your, just your classic uh, choice. Uh, just uh, boys having a boys' night talking about cutting edge. Um, yeah, I think dudes every guy... And, and honestly, what is... You know, it's one of those movies that you didn't have to say aloud, like, oh, I really like that. Because, like, we all did. I mean, the thing is, it, I don't really know what compelled me to rewatch this. And boy, did I rewatch this film. I watched it <laughs> several times for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's a very solid little story. And it was written by Tony Gilroy, who ended yeah. up writing Michael Clayton, The Born Identity. So the actual movie itself, yeah, very this was solid. The, the first movie that Gilroy ever wrote. And then he went on to write the entire Born trilogy Michael Clayton, The Devil's Advocate, Armageddon. Like he was a pretty good, like pretty good career. An absolute yeah, yeah powerhouse. Yeah. Um Ben, how did you how did you encounter this movie? Uh well I too had an older sister. Um I had two older sisters as a matter of fact. And I for sure caught this movie one afternoon on the Disney Channel. I'm ninety percent sure. Um and yeah, you start watching it. You're like, "Ooh, okay." There's a hockey player. This is fun. This is exciting. And then you're like, "Oh, wait, it's a figure skating movie." Okay, but the hockey guy is still in there, and it just like strings you along enough. And then, I mean, to be totally frank, Moira Kelly, you you know, it's like not a secret yeah. that in our audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, like, so, I'm sorry, full but full disclosure, Ben. Uh, <laughs> Ben yeah. Craw, who you listen to every week, oh God. Uh, has deep romantic feelings sure. for Moira Kelly. I uh, did as a young boy, and I'll just well, say that those feelings yep. are burning as yeah. passionately as ever. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this movie's it, PG horny. It's horny the entire movie. Yeah. I'm just oh, yeah. There's a couple it's, scenes that I may have to recuse myself from discussing. <laughs> Um, we'll get to those, but yeah, I mean, you watch it again, like you watch it with your sister, you're like, okay, this is kind of fun. Sure. It's not like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but then you also like to watch it with my sister and to see the delight on her face and to see the fun that she's having and I'm having a good time. I'm like, you know what? This is a, a fun, it's just a delightful movie. Moira Kelly, absolutely magnetic. Um, and it's just, it's, it's well, the dialogue is crackling. It's well written. You know, the action scenes are pretty well done. It's, it's um, what can I say? It's just an extremely watchable film and a extremely rewatchable film. Agreed. So where I am diff- where I differ from you guys here is uh, I grew up with brothers, mm-hmm. only brothers, and didn't have any sisters. I vividly remember watching this as a child with my brothers. We rented it from the movie store. Wow, rental. I had a group of friends up the street, like two boys and they would hang out with me and my brothers. We would all play, you know, football on the street together and two and touch. And we'd play video games at their house. We'd watch movies in their basement, sleepovers, play little league together, CYO basketball. And a big thing, a big theme for us was playing. Yeah. Like playing sports outside. And, so this movie kind of like checked that box like this. Like I remember we rented this movie because it was a sports movie. Mm-hmm. It, uh, like it has hockey on the cover. It was, yeah, dude, uh, this was, this was a comedy about sports. And we were like, 
Great. Obviously, we would, we're a bunch of boys. We would want to see that. Also, great tagline for this film, The Cutting Edge, The Ultimate Love Skate Relationship. That's just great. Oh, that's just, wow. Great. I didn't even that's catch very, that. That's very solid. That is um, very choice. Yeah. Did, did either of you guys ever play hockey as kids or did you ice skate? And what were your memories of, of that, hockey or ice skating? Was that like a, a sport or activity that you did as kids? Well, I grew up in New England, so we definitely had ice around. Uh, <laughs> I, I had hockey skates, but wasn't very good on them as a little... Yeah. Little chunky husky boy myself. Yep. <laughs> um, I wasn't. I wasn't dazzling on the ice. Yeah, uh, but it was definitely like a. I had hockey skates just to be like, maybe you could try this out. Maybe this is so. Your it was thing. like something to try, at least try. Aware, and then, but there were also figure skates. Being like, take those yep. two. You yep. know, these are also ben, available. Then what I about was, you? Yeah. Did, did you play hockey, ice skate at all? Never played hockey or did much ice skating. I was a um, we. I grew up in a skiing family, so we did a lot of skiing. Yeah. And for me, I don't know if this is like really answering your question, but there's such a uh, a kind of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of like the the memories and feelings that this movie evoked around skiing and specifically. The 1992 Olympics. Obviously, this is a major theme that we are going to be talking about. But for some reason, I mean, the Olympics have happened now several times in my lifetime. But there was something about the year 1992. I don't know why I remember it so vividly. I think it was on while my family was on a ski vacation in Vermont. And we just watched it like like our eyes were just glued to it every single night that it was on. And I have like vivid vivid memories of specifically the 1992 winter olympics female ice skating competition and i don't know yeah, why damn right. damn but right i can you remember, tell you, you the names why? do you remember why well that, i remember the kerrigan harding stuff but that was that, that was, was only news. later the the if i'm not mistaken the the attack on on kerrigan came after the 92 olympics I'm, I, um, I think it was not. I, no, it was 1992. I looked this up. It all happened in 92. Uh, really, I, the attack? I, I, I think the attack was 94. Was it? Okay. Well, um, it's all about that period, though, where the Nancy Kerrigan, and Tanya Hardy. Yeah, it was 94. Was was the was the assault on Kerrigan? Assault. The rivalry was absolutely there, present. Harding finished fourth. She did not medal. World champion Oksana Bayul in second place going into tonight's competition, arriving with a smile. Nancy Kerrigan in first place after the technical program. 
she seems reasonably relaxed. And Katarina Vett, a two-time gold medalist who will be the last to skate. Right now, it is Tanya Harding's turn to skate, but this tortured pass she's taken to the Olympics continues here. This is backstage, and Tanya Harding, after the warm-up, had a problem with her laces. It is her turn to be on the ice right now. This is a young lady who had a problem with her costume at the U.S. Nationals a year ago. She had a skate blade break at a Skate America competition in October. And now the public address is announcing Tanya Harding's name. And she's still lacing up her boots. And this is every skater's recurring nightmare. This is one that you wake up screaming from every morning. Her father, Al, is here. He is uh, bewildered by what has happened to his daughter. Diane Rawlinson on the left. And the crowd totally unaware of what the, where the problem lies. Now, if a skater starts to panic, this can really get them flustered. They can throw off their timing once they get on the ice. Even if you're late for practice sometimes, you get on, you try to rush to get ready, you try to rush to get your thoughts in order, and it can really throw you off. I think they just gave her a, a two-minute warning, a two-minute call, and she's trying to get the lace going there. It's, this can really throw a skater off. Well, this bizarre real-life movie continues. On the scoreboard, they're running a clock. It's up to one minute and seven seconds. If she's not out here in 45 seconds, I think they're going to disqualify her. I'm not sure. I've never seen anything like this before at any competition. She's got to hurry. Well, she's still obviously worried about the lace. She should be more worried about the performance, but I guess you can't worry about the performance unless your equipment is ready. Amazing. Free skate, ladies' competition, four minutes in length. It accounts for two-thirds of the final score. Tanya Harding, after that mistake-filled technical program, is in 10th place. And the last jump she took in warm-up was a triple axle, and she fell. She escaped the music of Jurassic Park. In a situation like this, I'm sure her heart rate's up at 180. She's going to have to calm down because the first minute of her program, three huge jumping passes. The first one, triple Lutz. She had problems with this in the technical program, reaches back with the right foot, single. 
She looked down at her skate. It looked like she was uncomfortable, and I think she's going to quit. How devastating. You just, it's so difficult to compose yourself when you're late. Your name has been introduced. Whether it's a costume or a hook or a lace, they have to go right to the referee, report the problem, and then the referee makes a ruling. Diane Rollinson to the left, her coach. I'm sure what she's telling them right now is that she tried her best to get out here on time. She threw the lace on, she threw it together, and, and she did the best she could to get out here. Right here. In a situation like this, the referee, the judging panel, will give her every opportunity to put out her breast performance. That's her father, Al. I would think, Scott, though no announcement has been made, they've obviously given her a set amount of time. Things like this just don't happen. Well, Again, it's so important that the skate is tied properly. It's important that it's comfortable on your foot. When I get my skate on during competition, even if it's a little uncomfortable, I don't retie it. I'll just get used to it. Because any change in the comfort... If they're tied too tight, your feet fall asleep. Everything has to be just perfect, especially in Olympic competition. The announcement has been made in Norwegian. Now it is being made in English. to fix her skate, but they're asking Jose Schwinard to come to the ice. I'm sure Jose's not even prepared. This is a difficult call because it's really not fair to Jose. She was expecting to skate after Tanya Harding. And while the previous skater is on, a skater collects their thoughts and gets mentally prepared, and this could throw Jose way off. Uh, Kerrigan finished third, and of course, Christy Yamaguchi and Midori Itu uh, Ito, sorry, finished uh, gold and silver. I didn't have to look that up. I could tell you that off the top of my head because for some reason I will never forget <laughs> the top four finishers of the 1992 female <laughs> Winter Olympic Ice Skating Championship. Um, I don't know why. It was just something uh, was just very, very captivating about that event. And I also really remember the um, the downhill skiing. I, I guess, again, because I was like we were skiers, so I was very, very into skiing. But do you guys remember Roberto Tomba? Tomba La Bamba. <laughs> he was like the big French skier, and it was in Albertville, France. So he was like a major star, celebrity, like kind of bad boy skier, and everyone was like, the press was going gaga for for Tomba La Bamba. <laughs> and this, this movie launches us right into. I actually like what I like most about this movie is it doesn't waste any time. It's immediately the 1998 Olympics, uh, Winter Olympics in Calgary. 
Uh, I looked. I looked this up. That this was like uh, probably most well known because uh, during these Winter Olympics would be the last one attended by the Soviet Union. Uh, this was the end mm. of the. This is the collapse. Ronnie Reagan is president at this point. And these Olympics were a triumph for our hosts in the Republic of Korea, and for our long friendship with them. One journalist described it like this. I have been unfailingly treated with politeness and friendliness and genuine warmth by police, security guards, and Korean Olympic personnel. They gave me small gifts to take home, so I'll remember Korea, end quote. Well, today we do remember the Korean people and are proud to have them as friends and proud of the indelibly successful Olympic Games they hosted. I hope these games will be remembered for the poignancy of the closing ceremony. That heartfelt scene of camaraderie as thousands of athletes from around the world exchanged gifts, danced together, and bid farewell to one another. One observer described this mass of friendship as swirling together in a sea of international revelry. And right there in the middle of this sea marched you, the United States athletes carrying tiny Korean flags in a true gesture of respect and brotherhood. And back home, in every corner of our country, our hearts swelled with the pride we had for you and for America. And our hearts are still swelling for some very important people who are right now in Korea competing in their own very important games. I'm speaking, of course, about the Paralympics. I was going to say I send them my very best wishes. I think I better say we all send them our very best wishes. And now we're setting our sights on Albertville and Barcelona in 1992. And I say, look out world, because the USA is going for the gold again. Insert clip of Ronnie Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chris, you can Chris do is, that later. Yep, Ta- you got that archival Mr. right, Chris. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. <laughs> you can put that in later. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so going going into this, I kind of, I looked this up. The 1988 Olympics, it opens with Doug Dorsey missing... Um, his game. It's it's game day, and he is currently missing it. It's 1 p.m. in the afternoon. He's supposed to be there at 9 a.m., and the reason is because he was a horn dog and he got laid. Yeah. And, um, you know, I immediately, uh, while I was doing research for this film today, uh, was like, oh, I should, like, look into, like, you know, are the Olympic Villages known for their, like, sex capades? And I got so far as writing Olympic Village sex into oh, yeah. my browser before realizing I'm on a work computer. Maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't hit enter. So I didn't do a lot of research, but my understanding is that the Olympic Village is really known for its just like its sexual exploits. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No research necessary. I remember yes. even as a kid just like hearing stories about oh the Olympic Village and yeah, so um, a bunch of hot horny. Uh, athletes all on yeah. top of one another, missing the games, and um, yeah, eighty-eight Olympics uh, was. Uh, you'd, I'm just going to say, like the final uh, context for ice hockey, the gold went to the Soviet Union, silver was Finland, bronze was Sweden, fourth place mm. was Canada, the United States shut out, and this film supposes that the reason they were shut out is because Doug Dorsey decided to fuck instead of going to the game. It's canon. 
I'm just saying, <laughs> Chuck Dorsey is to blame for the 88 loss of the, the United States. Well, he, wait, he, now he did score, uh, even, even after being late to the game, he did have like an incredible goal, right? But then it yeah, was the, the uh, subsequent yeah. uh, events. Uh, just backing up slightly, I just want to um, note that this movie, so first of all, it's called The Cutting Edge. It's, it's ostensibly about you know, figure skating, but the very first shot, the very first thing that we see in the film is, in fact, a hockey skate. Um, I'm not really yeah, sure. This it's opening, kind of, yeah, we're not we're not getting past this opening credit. We need to talk about this opening <laughs> shot. <laughs> I, we're, t- we're 24 I, minutes in, and we're yeah, no, finally I, I at the opening credit. Christian, <laughs> you bringing us uh, into the game, but we need to talk about that opening, the opening credits here with with the ice skates. Yeah, yeah. This maybe is a, is a a good part to note that this opening shot of all you see is um, darkness and then a spotlight on, and you're like, what is that, snow? And you realize, no, it's ice with a very, you know, like thin layer of, of kind of like ice shavings on top. It's a hockey rink. But the shot is so like stark and the lighting with this like spotlight is so stark and it immediately made me think of the spotlight work in the movie The Running Man. Um and it's weird because obviously there are no spotlights uh, in a hockey game. It's all fully lit. Um, and in fact, there are no spotlights in ice skating competitions either, which I found out in my research. It's, you know, fully lit. Let's, you know, every time you've ever watched the Olympic ice skating competition, it's just a giant fully lit arena. Um, but the spotlight thing is like a move, I think, by Glazer that he, I don't know, like perfected in Running Man. And it's so yeah. like just stark and cinematic. Um, and then anyway, yeah, so this, this, uh, this, this hockey skate comes up right against the camera, um, you know, blows, blows ice shavings directly down the, down the barrel of the lens. Um, it's a hard stop. This, yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's like a hard the, hockey the skates stop. Are coming at the camera, at the lens, and then there's a hard uh, turn, stop, and then the, the ice sprays. Yeah, 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 it's very, very dramatic, very in your face. And then the very next shot is is Doug popping up from this bed. It's one o'clock. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. I got a game. What the hell happened to the alarm? I'm supposed to be on the ice. You say nine. Is das nicht richtig? Yeah, nine. Nine o'clock. Yeah, what happened? Nine. Bed. Sure. You say nine alarm. Is mistake? No, no mistake. This is great. Late for the Olympics. I'm just about four hours late here, Rita. Rita? I don't believe this. Rita? Lita? Lita? Anita. Ich Namen Gita. Gita! So... The movie's very first order of business is establishing that Doug Dorsey is a coxman. He is a lady killer, okay? A horn, a horn This dog. guy is a player and a pimp, and most importantly, he doesn't need to make even the most minimal effort of learning his sexual partner's name. He doesn't even know the name of the woman in his bed when he leaves the room. He gets it wrong three times until she finally tells him what it is. Um, which, which, guys, what does this make me think of? Well, all right, so 
even if even without that little detail, we should note, we should establish that this movie is about a guy named Doug who is a hockey player. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, what other Boston film can you think of that has a protagonist by the name of Doug that was at one time in his life a hockey player? That's the right. The remake of this movie. Yes, that's is right. That, the remake. Is that film um, the Town? Is 2010's The Town. The town. Uh-huh. Uh, starring Doug, I forget his last name, but I assume it was Dorsey in the town. Um, yeah, but on top of the, the the same name and the hockey connection, it made it made it reminded me of Doug in the town in the way he would. Um, uh, well, let's just say his the nature of his relationship with Crystal um, and complicated relationship <laughs> with women. Very complicated relationship with women. But just the way that Doug in the town was able to get it whenever he wanted, wherever he wanted, no effort whatsoever, an absolute pimp and a player. And, uh, you know, folks, that's just classic Doug for you. That's, that's how he rolls. That's how he, how, he, uh, how he operates this guy. And so... To be fair, I went to Boston University, uh, which is a, a college known for its hockey, accurate depiction of hockey players. Bunch mm-hmm. of lughead horn dogs, baby. Mm-hmm, they just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're good on the ice, bad in school. By the way, as well I, don't I, know if, <laughs> I don't know if you realize this. You know who else went to Boston University and was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts? <laughs> A1, Paul M. Glazer. Paul true Michael story. Glazer. Yeah, yep, this yep. is true. Yeah, now, so. for those that uh, don't know, so basically what happens in this game, we've established... He's a horn dog. He runs to the ice, and as he's uh, going to the rink, this is the first encounter with Kate, played by Moira Kelly. Yeah, they slam into one another, and, and I think like the the this meet cute moment where he's like, "Where's the ice? Where's the ice?" And you know, she's like, "Is that all you have to say for yourself? Were you raised in a barn?" I feel like this establishes immediately that this whole relationship is just built on zingers. When he says, yes. "Honey, where I come from, we stand for the national anthem." Where I'm from, we stand for the national anthem. And like, it establishes what this whole film's gonna be, and yeah. it proves to be that anytime these two characters are talking, it's like an old radio play with just two, two like horny people zinging one another back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that is immediately non- established. Nonstop zingers. Nonstop. I, I love. Uh, obviously, I love the, uh, the the first meeting, the first fateful meeting of of Doug and Kate. But we have to back up a little bit because, uh, of course, this wouldn't be rewatchable unless we hit every single scene in the film. So, but this is an frame, this is, this is an important. Frame. We have every frame, every line of dialogue. Um, this is an important one, though. Um, you know, after we see uh, Doug leave his 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 bedroom in the Olympic Village. We get our first glimpse of Moira. Moira Kelly, ladies and gentlemen, there she is. Pure magic, a vision, poetry in motion, on the ice, moving through the air. And um, this is, uh, this is, I guess, just during like a, a, a practice uh, round uh, at, the, at the 88 Olympics. So everyone's kind of like bored and falling asleep in the stands. Um, and we see Moira... Uh, 
arguing with her coach, which is uh, going to be you know a, a common uh, motif throughout the movie. Uh, her incredibly uh, sassy, spicy, mega bitch personality. Olympics, Kate. 30 million people just called their families in from the kitchen to watch the replay. What do you think this is, Kate? Junior pairs, 82? No, as I recall in 82, you were still humiliating me in private. Maybe that's because you were still listening. Well, if I'm going deaf, it's because I've had you screaming in my ear for the last nine years. He's not giving me anything to work with. Rick, this is impossible. I want to see your ass in the air. Until Hercules here learns how to lock his grip, this will have to do. What can I say? She is the woman of my dreams. She is completely mesmerizing. Um, like, step on me with your toe pick. She step is, on my throat. She is, in fact, uh, yes. Uh, to to quote uh, Saving Silverman, um, she is the mega bitch of my dreams. Um, but yeah, she doesn't take any shit. She is much like in a perhaps sequel to this film, uh, <laughs> 1994's With Honors. She is That's a true. modern woman who knows what she wants, knows what she is worth. She has extremely high exacting standards in uh, her partners, uh, both romantic and otherwise. Um, and yeah, so we see her arguing with her, her coach, her skating coach, Rick. <clears throat> Um, she's fed up with her partner, uh, who clearly is not on her level, does not deserve her. Um, she's voicing tremendous frustration. Uh, her coach yells, I want to see your ass in the air. Uh, <laughs> giving me big time Al Pacino vibes with that line delivery. Um, ah. and you got your head. <laughs> All the way up it. Sorry. I uh, can't do it justice, but Chris, I'll, I trust you'll fix that in post. Yeah. Um, she is uh, She's a powerhouse. Sorry, my voice she is cracking is, uh, now. She's I, a powerhouse. Sorry, my voice is cracking now. I, I want to see your ass in the air. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Sorry, my voice is cracking now. I feel like I'm... <laughs> Maybe you back in my <laughs> in my prepubescent days a, a little bit here, folks. Moira is a powerhouse from scene number one, absolutely owning every single frame that she is in. Um, and after her her coach gives her that uh, you know command, she says, "This will have to do," and uh, promptly turns around, lifts up her skirt, and skates away. An absolutely incredible own. And uh, the photographers present don't mind it either. <laughs> uh, they snap a few shots. Uh, she Disgusting. departs, um, and, and then so yeah. Ben has put a throw pillow <laughs> onto his lap. <laughs> yes, now, and by teenage, parents, uh, I mean I am ten at this point. Uh, you're perhaps, ten, yeah. and the parents um, are like, "What? What did we just rent?" Yeah. So um, I think um, there are a couple of. Themes already mm-hmm. at play here 
in the early goings with this film. I mean, within the first two scenes. And um, I think we see them right away with Doug and the woman he's sleeping with, and then with Moira Kelly and her her partner. Mm-hmm. But we should just throw them out. But l- let me let me start here. So I think one of the one of the big things that's at play is the filmmakers like putting out some ideas about like gender. Oh and yeah. What like like the idea of like what is a real man? What makes a real man? What makes a real woman? On the one hand, we have this very like classically American man. He's this hero. He's an athlete. He's sleeping with a woman. He's, he's a hunk. He's work. a stud. He's shirtless. He gets laid. He's, he he's fucks. Hunk. He fucks. And then on the <laughs> other hand, we have this princess diva woman who's flipping off her coach. She's, mm-hmm. you know, hot-blooded. She's flipping off her coach. She's flipping up her skirt, showing her fanny. Uh, to the cameras and she you know she's you know giving her coach a piece of her mind and um, I think we have some like very clear ideas from this filmmaker about like what men and women can aspire to be Mm -hmm. and uh, so I think that's at play here early in 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 the early goings and then yeah I'll sit on my other one for a sec but I'm curious uh, uh, do you guys have any any thoughts on uh, early themes here. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with establishing immediately that a man, this is what a real man is. Like, Doug, you know, is just uh, all all id, young, dumb, full of cum. Young, dumb, full of cum. Remember her name. He's like fumbling with her name. I mean, that is every young boy's dream, to be able to say, I got laid, and the next morning I didn't even know her name. To be the best hockey prospect like yes, in the, twelve. In the world. They, they say that twelve NHL teams are interested in him. He's still yeah. in Minnesota State. He's a newspaper writer calls him the Minnesota Machine. Yeah, and also I thought this was <laughs> cool, great. Pretty cool nickname. Looking, yeah, the Minnesota Machine. He's also known as the Phenom from Mayhorn, Minnesota. So immediately <laughs> I started looking up, being like, "Oh, I wonder if Mayhorn has like because I, I learned the film Twister." Uh, starring the Jan de Bont film is mm. so popular in the Oklahoma town where it was filmed that there is currently a Twister museum that still exists, wow. dedicated to everything. So I was like, oh, Mayhorn, Minnesota must have, this must be a huge thing for Mayhorn. Mayhorn is not real. It does not exist. <laughs> what? That's a, so specifically bizarre to me. <laughs> they had to totally invent a fictional town a for fictional Doug's backstory? Town. Uh, it does not exist. I looked this up. Uh, Duluth is possibly the closest video- city that he may have been in, but uh, Mayhorn, Minnesota is not real. So he's the phenom <laughs> from a fictional town in Minnesota. And um, immediately we're also just like that this guy cannot be contained. The first time we see him really in the hockey game, he's in the penalty box. Uh, he's quick. Yep. He's agile. He's a sharpshooter, but he's a hothead because he's like got a two-minute high-sticking penalty. Oh, yeah. Um, He's West a loose Germany, cannon, folks. Yeah. West Germany is up one nothing. Uh, the yep. stakes are quite high here. He gets out of the box and immediately offsides. <laughs> like, like I yeah. kind of like that they establish like he's so like primed, ready to get. He's in like that a game. stallion, you know. A he's stallion. like they're they're trying to like keep him in a cage, he and can't. he's just he's just busting loose. But it, as a matter of fact, the, the cage thing brings me to another theme I want to I want to uh, mm-hmm. point out that, that I think is was very it was a, a quick little line early in the movie, but I think it's very important to point out. Um, sorry to, to interrupt, Christian, but no, no, please. Um, so this was um, at at around three twenty eight. Um, 
So uh, at a certain point, we see we meet um, Kate's father. Uh, Kate uh, Kate Mosley is her name, and her father, uh, Jack Mosley, is played by one of the great great uh, gifts to acting that we've ever uh, seen on the on the silver screen, Mr. Terry O'Quinn. Just want to have a quick Terry O'Quinn appreciation corner. Um, uh, he was in such great films as Space Camp, uh, Young Guns. Uh, he played Howard Hughes in The Rocketeer, another movie uh, I know that Christian is, uh, is in love with. Baby. There it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was trying to place this guy's face. Yeah, yeah. and of course, uh, of course, everyone knows him as uh, Locke in Lost. Um, but whatever, Lost is uh, kind of a lame yeah, show. He's the guy from uh, Rocketeer. There's no mistake about that, Wooly. I see. It was damn sloppy. What could have been worse? We got the gizmo. Well, yes, it could have been worse. We'll take it right now to headquarters. Right. Was that Walensky? They chased it to an airstrip in the valley. There was a wreck on the runway. The X-3 was destroyed. Well, better lost than in the wrong hands. How soon can you rebuild it? Rebuild it? Not a chance. My people in Washington will have something to say about that. Your people in Washington want to turn anything that flies into a weapon. Apparently someone else had the same idea. Sir, I'm afraid we must insist. I'll remind you boys that I don't work for the government. I cooperate at my discretion. Two of my best pilots were killed during the test phase. God knows how many more men would have died if it had flown. No, gentlemen. I'm sorry I ever dreamed the damn thing up. Sir, I wish you would reconsider. What do we tell the president? Tell him the dream is over. Tell him Howard Hughes said so. Yeah, yes. yeah, he's Howard, Howard Hughes. He, Howard Hughes in the Rocketeer. That's yes. really all I need to know. But another thing you should know is that he was 40 years old in this movie. <laughs> Which, when I found that He's out, a year older than me, also known uh, as my age. That, yes, yeah. A- 80s, 80s and 90s, 40 is something else. Yeah, like uh, I, I was like, is... oh, I wonder how. And then I was like, no. And I did yeah. the math like six times, and I was like, no, this guy is my exact age. Oh yeah, the best is <laughs> when you find insane. out like Wilford Brim, there's <laughs> oh, like a, the Wilford Brimley and Cocoon <laughs> is like 50 years old and like current, you know. Keanu Reeves is the same age as Wilford Brimley. There's an yeah. age. There's something about the water, the smoking, the drugs. Uh, it was the whole thing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Tara Quinn, forty, and um, yeah, yeah. So, um, but anyway, I bring him up because yeah, there's a little back and forth. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Kate's father, uh, uh, played by Terry Quinn, is giving her a little pep talk. You know, Kate, you got to stop yelling at your coach. You know, Rick knows what's best for you. You know, you gotta, you gotta uh, pull together, and you know, we're trying to win a gold medal here. Blah blah blah. And then, so she, as she leaves, there's a very, very telling line at 3:28, uh, where uh, her father Terry O'Quinn says, "Where do you think you're going?" Kate, this has to stop right now. Rick knows what's best, honey. He's the one that got us here. Oh, sweet. Let's just tag along. You're gonna go back out there. You're going to apologize, and you're gonna get to work. Wouldn't get the wrench, Dad. Where do you think you're going? I'll be in my cell. I'll be in my cell. I'll be in my cell. And at first, you know, the first time I watched this movie, it didn't really, it kind of just 
brushed right past it. The second time I realized Kate is a prisoner. Figure skating is literally prison for her. She does it with no joy, no passion, no enthusiasm, no red blood, you know? And that I'll be in my cell line again, very subtly, just kind of snuck in there. Uh, but I, but it hit me the second time, and I was like, "Wow, that is extremely telling, extremely revealing." Um, so we'll obviously get uh, much more into the father-daughter relationship, yep. <laughs> uh, a major, major theme. Um, so yeah, Kate marches off into the locker room, heads back to the locker room where she bumps into Doug, yeah, who is in a rush. Right, he's got his hockey bag. He's running late from his one night stand with a woman whose name he doesn't know. And as Christian mentioned, he bumps into Moira Kelly here in the hallway and there's a collision. He's running late. She's, you know, running off in a huff. And he says, uh, quote, you know, he's like, which way to the ice, which way to the ice. And he says to her, quote, honey, where I come from, you stand for the national anthem. And this like to me, uh, like triggered or, or made me realize that like another huge thing at play here was just like the idea of like American nationalism and like the Olympics and like Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall. <laughs> we hear the Star Spangled Banner playing in the background, right? Yes. And I think that um, you know we're here in Calgary and we sort of see these like. I, I don't know. Tell me if this is a stretch, but like I, I think the filmmaker is sort of like aggressively asserting these sort of American archetypes of like this man and this woman and what it means to be American. We're Americans in foreign soil. Red, white, and bl- red, white, and blue is everywhere. Um, and 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 yeah, I just felt like the idea of like putting forward American ideals um was like a a priority at the outset of the movie here yeah it's very much an american exceptionalism story where these two characters are the best they do whatever they want they fuck Mm -hmm. whoever they want they follow the rules they want uh and honestly probably a very good summation of america like that it's just (laughs) we do what we want and we win god damn it now Mm -hmm. whether that's a real thing but that was certainly in every sports film related to the United States. That is always the driving uh, theme. True, in the Olympics game. The girl that Doug was sleeping with at the beginning of the film, do we yes. think, she, is she Russian, German? What, like, what is, do we have a... Gotta go Sweden. Of... Gotta go Sweden. Sweden? I don't, I don't, okay. it, you know, seems Swede, maybe Finn. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. don't really establish this character too much. I think, I think it's, I think it's German, because doesn't she say something about like nine, you said nine, and he's like, yeah, nine o'clock. But like nine is like mm. German. There it, there it is. And then he, and her her name is uh, Gita. I don't know if Gita G I T A is a German name or not. But anyway, yep. she got she she struck me as as German. Um, yeah. But well, this would also the 1988 Calgary Olympics would be the last Olympics attended by East Germany as well. So mm. you know. So there you go. You know, right, she may have talk- had a one night stand, but. Let's talk about Good the future for Germany. <laughs> where Doug gets injured on the ice. Yeah, major, yes. major moment early on. Yeah. Christian, you want to? You yeah, I mean, here? Doug Dorsey to me appears to be a power forward type uh, guy. He's agile, he's quick. In more ways than he's, one. In more ways than one. He's out on the ice. Now, his helmet is the equivalent of a child's toy helmet. <laughs> Seems like the other guys have like a better helmet than he does. 
Um, but he gets immediately rammed uh, against the glass by uh, uh, the West German player, Unger, uh, ends up being slamming him into the glass. And, you know, to me, the way this is filmed doesn't look like that bad of a hit. It's supposed to be a little bit of headhunting. And, you know, number 17 Unger headshots him. Helmet goes flying across the ice. And there's just a stunned silence that Doug Dorsey, the hero of our film, within the first two, three minutes of the film. Just gets crunched. Crunched. And we learn uh, very shortly thereafter in the doctor's visit that Doug has lost 18 degrees of his peripheral vision in his right eye. Yeah, I got to say, like, sorry, the, the way, like, that scene is is done, like, after he, so he, he scores this insane goal and immediately slams his head directly into the glass. And then the way, I forget if it's actually slow-mo or not, but there's, like, the spinning helmet, we see the spinning empty helmet on the ice and the reaction of the ref, who's just, like, puts his head down like my my immediate assumption was doug's dead like that that was it like <laughs> yeah movie yes. over that's it for doug lights out um <laughs> everything else like jacob's ladder the rest of it's a dream <laughs> yeah died at the 88 calorie olympics yeah and everything else is a dream yeah yeah um yeah so uh, so the, the the scene that where he where he gets injured um you know, I, I remember it in the scene where Doug runs into Moira in the hallway. It happens again here on the ice. Something I want to point out very, very quickly here at the beginning is the use of like slow motion mm-hmm. throughout this film and the way the filmmaker underscores slow motion, some of these dramatic things with music. This was maybe a thing that was happening in sports movies when we were growing up, right? Mm-hmm. It was very much like an early, you know, like, like like an 80s, early 90s kind of thing, a style, a technique that was used in films where, you know, when we were growing up. Am I, am I crazy in saying that? Yeah, no, Once like again, the slow-mo no. and also like this kind of like blurry, like yes. kind of yes. like almost like woozy like camera. sense of time. Like yes. there is no time. Everything yeah. is slowing down. It happens again when Moira falls on the ice, right? And the flash bulbs are popping. Yeah, yeah I want to say... This- Sorry, just to point out like another like very important uh, I think will be a a very prominent like recurring motif is uh Moira getting uh slammed onto surfaces. Um yeah. she gets tossed around like a yeah. ragdoll. She is a a ragdoll. I mean, so when they cl- when they collide I mean, in the this hallway. Is WWF style stuff. Yeah. Honestly, gets, it's we, worse. It's worse. I think it is. I think that figure skaters Arguably have female figure skaters in, in particular have the worst professional sports. There's no padding. You yeah. have like a little frilly whatever you're wearing and you're thrown onto ice, which yeah. I don't know if you've ever fallen and eaten shit on ice uh, living on the East Coast, but it hurts so bad. Extremely and hard surface. Yeah. Extremely hard surfaces. But, um, you know, I think I think what's important to realize is that this film employs slow motion stutter and also. I think 40% of this film is like shadowy figures on the ice from very far away. And it turns yeah. out neither Moira Kelly or D.B. Sweeney could skate. 
Uh, yes. Very important is that, they, that he said, I didn't play hockey, but cutting edge changed my life, D.B. Sweeney says. They hired me knowing I couldn't skate, but there was three months <laughs> until we started filming. They said, eh, we'll hire a hockey coach if you feel like skating. <laughs> if you feel like skating yeah. in a film about wow. skating. So, so I think a lot of these stutter shots, Glazer was like, oh, we're, we're in the action, then quickly realized D.B. Sweeney can't skate. Yeah, Let's I'm gonna have to cover some of this footage or uh, che- cheat a little bit. Shots, yeah. Cover it with some stutter shots, and yet it works. I, I honestly think like the action of this uh, totally plays. Like the whole did everything. You guys, did you see? Me. There's a frame. There, there's like one quick frame while they're playing hockey, Ben, where they cut to like a grainy black and white. Yeah, they Shot. did. They played with color oh, a little that, bit too. Yeah. yeah, it has almost like a newspapery yeah. feel. Vibe. Yeah, I'm, I was very unclear like what the sort of cinematic purpose or like thematic purpose of that was. But yeah, there was like a weird. Suddenly, it goes to black and white for a second again, I, just to kind of heighten the like you, dream like, like surra- sur- surreality of it. I dig it. Movies now are so bold, like like just like boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like like I really respect like so, like the. The choice by the the cinematographer and the director to be like, let's try a look and a vibe that evokes um, our audiences like memories of watching an actual sporting event. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it's very like, ro- like Roger Stoney. He loves the game. He has fun with it, and he's very good at it. I'm an agent provocateur political strategist controversial as you can get an incredible capacity for treachery win at all cost mentality when people think of washington corruption they think of roger stone we're like popping back and forth between like different kind of like cinematic styles and yeah Yeah, and, and this was the heyday of sports films I think like the late '80s, early '90s was really just. Oh, like, sorry, not Roger Stone, Oliver Stone. Oh, Oliver Stone. I had, to, Oliver had to correct Stone. myself there. Roger Stone, <laughs> like, very, like, very <laughs> different. <laughs> not a not a filmmaker. Roger Stone. Yet, crazy. They almost like change frame rate at one second, where it's like I, I feel like I'm watching like multiple different types of cameras shoot the same story, and it's like, it's cool. I don't know. Yeah, it's very important to realize that. Uh, meanwhile, Roger Stone is also lurking off camera somewhere, <laughs> post Nixon. Reagan air is on. Yes. George, George, oh, George H.W. Bush is about to become president. We're getting into the Clinton era. Roger Stone is in this film, but not in this film. Did I just I send Chris important. down an entire Roger Stone archival rabbit hole? Absolutely. You sent I think us there, my, baby. my apologies. You are there, my apologies. So you're welcome, everybody. You can listen to Switch. 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 Switch